Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the Global Church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, A King Like No Other, and it's based upon the lectionary readings for November 24th, 2019. This week, the Church celebrates Christ the King, or Reign of Christ, Sunday. It's a hinge week between the liturgical seasons of ordinary time and Advent, when we pause to reflect on the meaning of Christ's kingship before we delve into the mysteries of light and darkness, hope and lament, prophecy and incarnation. Given the pomp and circumstance we typically associate with kings, we might turn to the lectionary this week expecting to find passages that sound, well, kingly, Something glorious from the book of Revelation, perhaps, about Jesus sitting on his throne, decked out in splendid robes and a jeweled crown. Or something majestic from Isaiah. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Or at least a shiny moment from one of the Gospels. Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus emerging from the waters of baptism, heaven thundering in his ears. But no, we find none of those. What we find instead is a crucifixion scene, a stripped and suffocating man racked with pain, a crowd of mockers spewing hate, a man hanging between thieves, derision in his ears, speaking blessing and promise to someone less fortunate than himself. Can we pause for a moment and contemplate the paradox that is at the heart of our faith? This is our king. This is our king. If there is any moment in the Christian calendar that must smack all smugness out of us, all arrogance, all self-righteousness, all contempt, this one has to be it. Our king was a dead man walking. His chosen path to glory was the cross. If paradise was anywhere, it was with him, only and exactly where his oppressors left him to die. Today, with me, paradise. What does it mean in the time and place we live in, a time marked by greed, selfishness, and bitter partisanship, to honor Christ's kingship through his passion? What does the cross offer us by way of example, warning, and benediction? What version of citizenship might we live out that will begin to mirror our kings? As I sit with this week's lectionary passages, what strikes me most is what I don't see. I see no path to glory that sidesteps humility, surrender, and sacrificial love. I see no permission to secure my prosperity at the expense of another's suffering. I see no tolerance for the belief that holy ends justify debased means. I see no evidence that truth-telling is optional. I see no kingdom that favors the contemptuous over the brokenhearted. And I see no church that thrives when it aligns itself with brute power. Where does this leave us? I think it leaves us with a king who makes us profoundly uncomfortable. As I survey the political and cultural landscape in the United States right now, I'm wondering what it means to bend the knee to a king who exchanged his crown for a cross. As I engage in strained conversation with Christians who see the landscape differently than I do, I'm struggling to honor a sovereign who spoke words of blessing, even in his darkest hour. As I hear people minimizing the severity of the domestic and global crises we are facing, I'm remembering that grace in the crucified one's kingdom is neither easy nor cheap. It cost the king his life. As I'm faced with those who tell me to make peace at all costs, 
I'm trying to hang on to the fact that Jesus died because he made no peace with oppression. As I'm tempted to couch either denial or apathy in some version of, calm down, God's in control, I'm reminded that Jesus' kingdom is incarnational through and through. It's a cop-out to expect God to act when I will not. Even as Jesus hung on the cross, he spoke hope to the thief who needed solace. He hung in the gap between one man's derision and another man's hunger, absorbing both into his broken body. This is our King. My prayer for the Church during these challenging times is that we will find ways to walk as Jesus walked, to spend ourselves for love of the other, to listen, to protect, to endure, and to bless to find strength in the love of both friends and strangers, and to rally fiercely and relentlessly to shield the vulnerable from terror and harm. The truth is, the Church has always proven itself in times of peril. Peril brings forth prophets. It lights holy fires. It teaches us the radical nature of love. After Christ the King Sunday, we will enter into Advent, a season of waiting, longing, and listening. Holding firm to our vision of a better kingdom, we will walk into the expectant darkness, waiting for the light to dawn, and straining to hear the first cries of new life. Yes, there are reasons for fear right now, reasons for anger, reasons for grief. But we are not a people bereft of hope. We are not abandoned. We know where to look for paradise. We have a king like no other, the very best king for this hour. For books this week, Dan reviews The Empire and the Five Kings, America's Abdication and the Fate of the World by Bernard-Henri Levy. Philosopher, journalist, political activist, filmmaker, and author of over 30 books, he is France's most prominent public intellectual, known there as simply BHL. Bernard-Henri Levy is fabulously rich, telegenic, and close friends with the most powerful. He owns restaurants, a soccer team, a line of vodka, and, it had to be, a perfume called With Love from Bernard Henri. He's an intellectual provocateur of prodigious learning. His third wife was a famous French actress and singer. His current liaison is the fashionista Daphne Guinness. Exactly how we should take Levy is a question that has dogged his controversial career for decades. Levy is one of the few scholars today who still writes about big history, boldly written, with his belief in a single and universal story for all people everywhere, led by the closely connected Europe and America. That is, until more recent days, when we have seen the United States abdicate its imperial responsibility to protect and promote liberal democratic norms around the globe. America's reluctance to fulfill its political authority has been exacerbated by the, quote, real empire now, says Levy, the four horsemen of GAFA, along with their Asian counterparts, BATX, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, which has an office near my house, and Xiaomi, with a remarkable power of commerce and control, i.e. surveillance. These techno-giants, which combine tyrannical power and sweet seduction, are, quote, gnawing away at the links that bind people, with their mantras to tell all, say all, see all, show all. With the United States retreating in this battle for democracy and law, five new powers with ancient pedigrees have stepped into the vacuum. Levy calls them the five kings, Russia, China, Turkey, Iran, and Saudi Arabia, or radical Sunni Islam, those nostalgic for the caliphate. 
He doesn't think they can succeed in their ambitions, but they can still do great harm. And so we must nevertheless remain unflaggingly aware that the war between their idea of the world and our own is merciless and uncompromising. This is the, quote, noblest vocation of America, which in a touching phrase Levy calls the second home of every free person on the planet. It's civilizing project to fight totalitarianism in all of its guises in favor of democratic freedoms for all humanity. For films this week, Dan reviews Seeking God, The Way of the Monk. This one-hour documentary is obviously dated, but I was excited to watch it for several reasons. There's been some renewed interest in monasticism in our own day, including the so-called new monasticism. The ways of silence, solitude, and simplicity lived in community remain powerfully attractive in our own distracted day, as attested, for example, by the nuns and nuns movement that has spread to different parts of the country. In addition, in 2004, I took a personal retreat at Monastery of Christ in the Desert, which is the focus of this film, so I was interested to revisit that place by way of this movie. And I will also admit it, this movie was free with our Amazon Prime membership. The director-producer Diane Marin spent four years filming the Benedictine monks at MCD, which is in Abiqui, famous for one of the homes of the artist Georgia O'Keeffe from 1929 to 1984, about 53 miles north of Santa Fe. The movie features a half-dozen monks who tell how and why they became monks, including two postulants, their struggles and joys, and their daily rituals of work and worship. For more on Monastery of Christ in the Desert, see their website, ChristDesert.org, and for further explanations of explorations of monasticism, see our JWJ reviews of the two movies of Gods and Men, 2005, and Integrate Silence, also 2005, about the remote and reclusive monastery Grand Chartreuse, and then the books by Patrick Fermer, A Time to Keep Silence, and Greg Peters, The Story of Monasticism, Retrieving an Ancient Tradition for Contemporary Spirituality. And lastly, for poems this week, a poem for the Feast of Christ the King by Pamela Cranston. See how this infant boy lifted himself down into his humble creche and laid his tender glove of skin against splintered wood, found refuge in a rack of straw, home that chilly dawn in sweet silage, those shriven stalks. This outcast king lifted himself high upon his savage cross, extended the regal banner of his bones, draping himself upon his throne. His battered feet, his wounded hands, not fastened there by nails, but sewn by the strictest thorn of love. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for November 24th, 2019. I'm Debbie Thomas.